avoid going to the dentist for all sorts of reasons, from getting their mouth drilled to the painful amounts of money they have to spend on drilling and treatments. This week we speak with Dr. Stephen Lin, author of The Dental Diet, the surprising link between your teeth, real food, and life-changing natural health. In this interview, we'll discuss the downward spiral in dental health despite the use of fluoride, the health repercussions of having a jawline that's too narrow to accommodate a full set of teeth, and how orthodontics merely address the cosmetic appearance of teeth. The truth is that eating the right foods can lead to less painful dentist visits, and it's never too early or too late to start changing your diet for improving the health of your teeth. We're taking you to the dentist next on the Nutrition Heretic Podcast. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. If you're still confused about what to eat and not getting the results you thought you'd get by going organic, go to NutritionHeretic.com and download the shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague for free. The shit list details what health food companies want you to believe about the crap they peddle and why the real foods they're meant to replace are far better. Stop letting big health food dump all over you and download the shit list today. Fat is bad for you. I just pop a pill and I'm fine. Meat is murder. <laughs> it's time for bad food punishment. It's time for real nourishment. It's time for the nutrition heretic. The following program is provided as information only and may not be construed as medical or health advice. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any disease. No action or inaction should be taken solely on the basis of the information provided here. Please consult with a licensed healthcare professional or doctor on any matter relating to your health and well-being. Aloha and welcome to the Nutrition Heretic Podcast, where we discuss nutrition with a twist. Uh, today I have a little confession, and that confession is that I have never been afraid of the dentist. Uh, and I never really understood why people were afraid of the dentist until I got a little bit older and I realized that I didn't have cavities and many of my friends did. So they were subject to all kinds of drilling and, uh, you know, just very uncomfortable uh, interactions every time they would go to the dentist, whereas I usually only ended up the, the worst thing for me was biting on the, the film uh, so that they could take an X-ray. Uh, and, uh, you know, that was probably the most painful thing I ever put up with. But in my case, it didn't necessarily mean that I had stellar health in the rest of my body. But uh, once I was introduced to the work of Weston Price, and I saw the pictures of uh, children and, and adults with horrible, horrible teeth, and uh, how Dr. Price correlated that to uh, their declining health. And as you if you remember from any of the other podcasts, uh, tuberculosis was the big scourge of his day. So, um, you know, tuberculosis and other disease was following uh, very closely to uh, these, this terrible dental health that he was seeing. Uh, this kind of information I actually relayed to a friend of mine who uh, was working at the time in social work, and her boyfriend was a grade school educator, and we discussed uh, teeth and um, you know protrusion of the ears, uh, the bags under the eyes, and what that might mean for different behaviors, and how you could also see. You could pretty much predict, my friend would, <laughs> would say, you could tell the crack addicts when they would walk in. And she didn't literally mean crack, but she meant that these kids were addicted to sugar. So their parents were pumping them up with these these fake fruit juices and, you know, highly pasteurized uh, uh, clear juices, uh, uh, sodas, Pop-Tarts, you name it. They were just, they're eating a ton of sugar and, and they could see the difference in behavior in these kids versus the ones who just had water or, um, you know, otherwise their parents would maybe give them a sandwich instead of giving them a bag of chips. And, uh, you know, that was very eye-opening for them being in the industry. Um, but one thing I, I want to say before I introduce our next guest is that 
When I talk to people about improving their diet, they always say, well, I can't afford to eat the way that you do. Uh, and then I look at why they believe they can't afford better food. And very often it's because they spend all of their money at the doctors, at the dentist. Uh, they are spending their money on all kinds of crowns and braces and um drilling this and that you name it it's just you know one procedure after another and what i'd like to talk about a little bit today and you know maybe we'll get into it a bit with the guest today is the fact that you know if you can choose where you put your money right you can choose to eat a little bit better and watch those bills at the dentist at the you know md doctor uh go down uh so with that i'd like to introduce our guest heretic today, Dr. Stephen Lin. Uh, he is uh, a dentist, and he's going to talk to us about how the teeth are a mirror to good health. And welcome to the show, Dr. Lin. Thanks, Adrian, for having me. Such a pleasure. Oh, uh, well, I, I'm curious to know when you had your aha moment when it came to dental health and general health. Yeah, well, you know what, you, you describe a very, you know, you're probably in the not so ma big majority of people uh, that, that aren't afraid of the dentist. So most people, <laughs> I want to tell you a little story, like uh, as a dentist, uh, you kind of, you know, go about your day and you hear this one phrase about, well, at least four or five times, maybe more on a bad day, but people will walk into the room when they first meet you and they say, I hate the dentist. And that's the first thing they'll say to you as a, you know, whether it's a, a dinner party or whether it's a, and you know, I have women come in and say, look, you know, I, I, I'm just not happy to be, I'd rather give birth than have dental. <laughs> I've, I've, I've had that said a lot. And look, I, obviously I've got no experience giving birth, but come on, like that, you know, that is always jaw dropping for me. <laughs> uh, but there are a lot of people out there that are afraid of the dentist. And, um, you know, as, as a, uh, out there, um, practicing clinically, I, you know, this was kind of a big problem and makes you think about why, you know, why are we so uh, afraid of the dentist? I mean, you know, obviously the, uh, you know, the pain and the treatment side of it, the expense, uh, you know, kind of explain itself. But I started to find that, well, the actual reason is that we're actually going about it all wrong. And it speaks to what you just kind of alluded to there is that, you know, we should be thinking about food and prevention uh, instead of um, treating. And, you know, we've really kind of looked at, the dentist as, you know, kind of a fix-it, a stopgap, you know, where you have a broken tooth, you go there, get it patched up and you're on your way. And that's great. You know, dental treatment is amazing in the 21st century, um, but there's a lot to our mouth and oral health that we don't understand. So that was kind of my aha moment when I actually accidentally stumbled across Weston A. Price's book. Now, I was never taught about nutrition and physical de degeneration, which is the book that he wrote in the 30s, uh, and I accidentally discovered it while I was whilst I was actually backpacking, taking some time away from dentistry. And um, I kind of looked at it and I thought, what the hell is this? And <laughs> I, well, I didn't understand it, right? And, and I looked at it and I was like, oh, this, it's interesting, but it's, you know, probably a bunch of baloney. It speaks to you in a very deep way, that book. And, you know, I feel it kind of like seeded something, put it in the bag and I went on my way. But I actually kind of went back to it a few times when I went back to work and I was still thinking about whether I could do root canals all my life <laughs> um, but it, it, what I what I eventually realized is that I didn't understand what this dentist in the thirties was talking about, and then that opened up this huge journey to open up what the hell had we missed? And the story is unbelievable. And this is why I wrote the dental diet because there is a patching up story between the thirties and now, what we've done to our mouth and how nutrition actually shapes everything in the jaw, from crooked teeth to impacted wisdom teeth to gum disease tooth decay, the whole lot and everything you just described there is every ch child that comes into my dental practice now. Skinny face, bags under the eyes, open mouth, uh, they, they don't sleep well, they don't breathe well, they don't do well at school, They're 10% of them are on ADHD medicine and it's all a problem with their growth and their dental development yet we've just tragically missed it and it's all from eating the wrong foods. And so this is a story of, in the dental diet, how we reframe nutrition uh, for you know to to understand the mouth and then the body comes simply after. So it's been a really, I've always been you know I've got a biomedical science background and uh, I was into sports nutrition before I did dentistry and it's kind of taken me back down that road and it's been really rewarding in that sense. 
Do, do you get um, any resistance from people coming into you who literally they're, they're, they're there, they just want to be patched up? Doc, don't give me any of this BS, how I have to change my diet, it has nothing to do with it. You're the doctor, but you don't know. <laughs> do, yeah, do, you get, do you get that? Absolutely. So people want a quick fix these days. Um, and you know, the thing is, too, is that once we get to the end point of disease, often there does need to be a treatment you know, because we've left it that long. Yeah. Um, you know, but the the long term and the big message here is that every single uh, disease process that we're you know you can intervene in, and if you don't, if you don't make sure that you're fixing the underlying problems, it's only going to continue. And yeah. so dental diseases are that first sign. You know, we can pick up the bleeding gums. We can pick up, you know, tooth decays is a sign of both microbiome imbalance and nutrient deficiency. You know, we have to get those signs first, or you're going to go down the road of sickness. Mm, absolutely. I, I completely agree because, I, I mean, I've seen it um, even just with my own children. Uh, I was lucky to come to this information well before I got pregnant. So, uh, you know, I, not only did I prepare for pregnancy uh, through the type of foods that many, many people would say are too rich, uh, but I... Um, you know, made sure that their first foods and their interaction with food has uh, been as positive, let's say, uh, as possible. Because what I have noticed, uh, and I guess I, I do write about this quite a bit, which is that we just have a horrible relationship with food in the West, uh, where anything that's considered a, a real food is too rich, except for vegetables, um, you know, is too rich and, and too... of. Um, uh, uh, almost counterintuitive uh, the way people think of it uh, but then what they're ended what they end up with is a lot of processed junk really like I I hesitate to call it food most of the time uh, because it's uh, not anything that that you know we should recognize as food mm-hmm. absolutely so um you know I guess where I'm going with this is that a lot of people think about brushing their teeth right um and and actually i've had doctors or dentists tell me and tell my children well you know if you eat something that's sticky make sure it comes off of your teeth immediately so when they see the relationship between dental health and food they're thinking on the outside of the of the teeth what touches the teeth uh, how long does the coca-cola you drank just linger on your teeth so they're saying you know that's the only time you really should you know worry about the food is when it sticks to your teeth do you what what, what do you say to that yeah that's one of the biggest problems with how we look at um, nutrition in dental and also healthcare in general so we've taken a very very superficial uh, approach to it. And so sugar and tooth decay, this link's been around for decades now. And dentists have been talking about reducing sugar and, you know, and we failed basically. You know, we've been talking about this since the 70s and 80s that, tooth, that you, uh, you eat sugar and you get decay. But so the way I kind of like to look at it is that, you know, when you, um, when, when you have a car with an engine problem, you don't go to the car wash, do you? Uh, you? You get under the hood and you understand what's wrong with the engine. And so basically, Brushing and flossing is excellent, but I mean, it, it is that very superficial coat of paint. So we really need to understand what's happening underneath the hood, understand the en- the engine. And so it really does speak to actually there's a lot of scientific understanding now as to the immune system inside our teeth, the cells that protect you against decay, for instance. Let's talk about the real process of decay. So there are cells that are hungry these nutrients that we simply don't eat anymore, the, nu- the foods that you're talking these very rich, fat-soluble, um, dense foods that we just don't eat anymore. And so when you don't, these cells go hungry. And then so when you're vitamin D deficient, which nearly, you know, they, we see the numbers up to 75% plus and, you know, probably more if, you, if we took a, um, you know, the, the blood levels, ancestral blood levels of vitamin D, uh, but vitamin A, vitamin K2, people don't even know what K2 is. Now, most healthcare professionals don't know what K2 is and that there's different types uh, from different types of foods. And so there's a lost story of nutrition here. And what you've got to remember too is that for thousands and thousands and thousands of years that humans lived on earth, we didn't have decay. We didn't have crooked teeth. And our jaws and teeth were beautifully straight and healthy. Mm-hmm. This just didn't happen. And so 
the reason why we had dental plot and you know sticky films. This is what Price found. He said these people don't brush their teeth, but they their teeth are magnificent. Besides this slimy um, coating they have, <laughs> yeah, that's how it described it. Right, yeah, he's got they've got this slimy sludge, but that's actually you know the, a very superficial part of oral health. They they actually fed the internal systems that gave them healthy skeletal systems, healthy teeth. And the other thing, too, is that they balance their microbes in the mouth. So there are protective probiotic bacteria in the mouth, the oral microbiome, that protect us against bacteria. So when you have a diverse, um, uh, ecologically balanced system that communicates with the gut, your immune system's happy, your, the microbes are happy, and the teeth are happy because we've got a, uh, a defense system, you don't get decay naturally. Mm-hmm. So we've taken if you kind of in that perspective taken a very very narrow view at what tooth decay really is and then we've completely forgotten for instance how food shapes the jaw how you know how we've basically reshaped our craniofacial systems because we're eating the wrong thing right right and uh you know not to to brag but i I touched on my kids and uh, my older girl she's 14 and uh, people constantly ask if she had braces. And I said, no, but it's like her teeth are perfectly straight. Um, and I can't help, especially, I'm going to kind of out a couple of people, but when <laughs> we compare well, to, you know, some of the cousins uh, of the same generation, there's no comparison. Um, my younger one, she's only seven, so her teeth are still coming in. And, and actually, that's another thing that I've noticed, and I actually discussed this with my older daughter's kindergarten teacher, uh, which is, it, doesn't it, does it to you seem that children are losing their baby teeth earlier? I, uh, I would say that I've seen a trend. It, it goes either way. Um, baby teeth can actually be delayed. So I actually see kids that don't lose their teeth a lot. Uh, so the baby teeth will actually not exfoliate, and it's actually due to a thyroid problem. Mm. Uh, yeah, so that's an underlying thyroid issue is that because they're not getting the horn. And you've got to remember that these fat-soluble vitamins A, D, and K2, which we learn about in the dental diet, they, they control growth hormone, they control uh, insulin-like growth factor, they control testosterone. So all of these sex hormones and, uh, and growth hormones are all managed by the levels of fat soluble vitamins. So we are sending those signals. You sent that. It's such a great story. I, you need to brag about this more, actually, because <laughs> because kids don't grow dental jaws like that anymore. And you have to because you were onto this six months before, um, you know, conceiving. That's what people have to do now. And this is what we learn is that you know prenatal nutrition is so important. Your body's about to create a skeletal system. So it's hungry, it's so hungry, and you have to know what it needs. We've forgotten what these nutrients are. You know, we really need to get back to this food because kids, there's four million kids per year having braces. They, we just don't have them growing uh, craniofacial systems anymore. And it's a big problem because we have, ne- we're now walking into an epidemic of breathing and sleep disorders. And so that's right. where kids, with 10% of kids now have sleep apnea, and that's where they're choking. An apnea is defined as a, a gap of 20 seconds Jeez. Where they're not breathing in sleep. That's yeah, and that's kids, uh, you know, ten, eight, uh, eight to twelve years of age who who aren't breathing at night. And this right. is an absolute epidemic. Orthodontic braces has hidden, you know, the biggest health problem on the planet. It's that our teeth grew, and you know, we've been straightening them. That's again a superficial veneer to the fact that we're not eating the right thing. Right, and uh, I'm judging from from your last name um, that you also have a Chinese parentage, correct? <laughs> I do, correct. My All right, are. yeah, and um, and you know, so do I. And um, in Chinese culture, uh, that's probably I want to say the most accessible culture that that you know in the West that we understand about, where um, traditionally there are these like very rich foods that are given to pregnant women. Uh, I remember when my when we lived in New Jersey, my daughter was going to Chinese school, and uh, I, that's when I had my second one, and uh, she was she was actually complaining about how her mother f- well, pretty much forced her to you know have this like pork knuckle <laughs> she was yeah. pregnant <laughs> and to, and to eat these these soups that she thought were too heavy and too rich but her kid had gorgeous teeth you know and so did she um 
but unfortunately, this is so uh, taboo now to even say that you enjoy it, let alone to consume it for more practical reasons, right? Absolutely. The uh, you know, and this was talked about. You know, Price noted this in. You know, he went around to fourteen cultures, and you know, every single and actually the Chinese one was one that he didn't write about. So that's an, actually a great addition to what Price because he nearly recorded every other um, culture on. on on the planet. Yeah, so the a, lot, Chinese, a lot of smaller groups uh, in particular, but not that there aren't smaller groups in China, but I th- probably yeah. the political situation kept him out of there. <laughs> at the yeah, time. I, I don't think he was, well, he was game though. He went to, you know, like, you know, to sub-Saharan Africa, he went to, you right. know, South America, he went to, um, you know, indi- indigenous cultures in Australia, like these are very remote areas. So he was game, but he mustn't have, um, you know, he, I think he had connections in certain places and certain places not, but yeah, it's, um, but the what he talked about was this wisdom, and that what they would do is is you know a couple planning to conceive, they would make sure they packed in these nutrient dense foods, fat soluble rich foods, uh, you know liver, eggs, butter, like they were just treasured, and they had to be sourced from very very um, carefully prepared foods, and and these were animal products uh, because the fat soluble vitamins, these three particular, come from animal sources, and the um, the chemistry is kind of. Um, that the, the animals convert them over uh, into the active form, and that's what humans need. A desi- our digestive system is designed to take in. So there's a certain amount of food we need to take in uh, from these fat-soluble-rich foods. And what they said is they know that the the people that ate these foods had kids with round heads. That's how they that's how they reported. <laughs> <laughs> it's, that's, and, but that, that's a great observation because I tell you what, if you look at newborns, say they don't have round heads. They have, and you look at their jaws. Their jaws are set back into their. If, look at the profile of the next newborn you see. Look at their chin. Mm-hmm. You know, and you'll notice their chin is set back into their airway. The, the kid will have um, a profile where it basically uh, uh, falls away. Now, right. anthropologically, that doesn't happen. There right. are new, newborn skulls where the, the jaw is set forward. So we're actually showing that the jaw isn't even developing in vitro. So we're actually, you know, it is in utero, sorry, right from conception we're beginning this process and we, we we need to carefully um kind of create babies otherwise you know we're we're losing our kind of genetic lineage yeah and uh, yeah that's a that's a, a a tremendous point right there um which is uh f- you know just the the genetic traits uh we i, I have noticed that fewer kids look like their parents um you know the uh for lack of a better term, mongoloid features are starting to show up, I, I believe, more uh, than than kids actually resembling family members, you know, <laughs> which is, you know, a little a little bit disturbing. Uh, but again, I'm now I'm going to now I'm going to tout my younger baby because you just reminded me of uh, she was about maybe five months old and, and we were shopping in a store and two old ladies walked up to me. And they said, "Oh my goodness! Look at her! Look how! Look at her little button nose and her round face! And her ears are flat to her head, like they." <laughs> and it was to me, to me that was um, that was such an ingrained response from them because they didn't know me from Jack. They didn't know what I was into, but they clearly had been noticing <laughs> that this was not common anymore. Uh, and um, yeah, I was that that I went home and I was like, "See, even the old lady in the store, <laughs> she recognized." <laughs> uh, but it's true. Um, I think there are there are some people in the older generation who you know they uh, they know that that that's what children used to look like. Well, it, like we're talking about craniofacial development, so like the human um, brain is deeply wired to recognize faces. That's how we communicate. So we've got mm-hmm. hundreds of facial muscles. So we, we actually are computing, you know, many, many, many different things when we look at a face. Um, and so there's actually a, a plastic surgeon that calculated, you know, a, a mathematical formula that shows how we, uh, you know, kind of a mask basically that, that shows the different proportions of uh, um, facial development and how it relates to the Fibonacci sequence and, um, uh, the the phyllolactic growth in nature, so how something grows naturally, and so what we see in kids now is we have this what you those features you're talking is this long face, and so this is stereotypical of slowed or stunted 
facial growth. Yeah. And that, so that's long, so that's a high palate, skinny high palate, V-shaped palate. Um, you have uh, mouth open kind of set back jaw. You've got skinny um, skinny cheekbones and you've got, uh, you know, basically a very rounded jawline. And so that what that does, that changes the, the entire uh, um, appearance of the face. And so we don't have those lovely broad features. And if you look at all the classic Hollywood actors, uh, you know, they all have these amazing cheekbones, amazing jawbones, and, you know, we kind of see that as beauty, but that's actually our intrinsic computers saying that's healthy. And the reason is because a great smile, we see teeth, right? And we, we judge teeth as being beautiful, but that's telling us. So teeth are set in jawbones. So mm-hmm. the, the upper teeth is set into the maxilla. So it, it uses the space in that maxilla to set out nice and wide. When you have beautiful wide uh, teeth, you have be- a beautiful wide upper jawbone or maxilla, what sits in that maxilla is the airway. So you've got the nasal sinus that sits just above the teeth. Now, when those teeth are crooked, those nasal airways are, are cramped and and uh, have less volume as a result. So if you have a high palate in kids, nearly every kid today, you look, 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 tell them to look up to the roof, open their mouth, look at their palate, and see if, you, if it, it should be flat basically along behind their teeth and U-shaped. Um, and so you'll actually, some kids you can barely reach your finger up, they're so high. Now, right. those palates are driving up into the nasal airways. So that's a craniofacial system that is just barely surviving. It's it's what we need to see teeth as a sign of growth and development of the face and why that's important for our, you know, this is the base of the brain as well. And I've seen in adults, we can expand the palate too. So so what happens is when you expand an adult, um, the obviously the um, the upper jaw will expand, but then the whole face changes. The eyes level out because the eyes, the orbit, basically sits uh, the maxilla bone um, is the base of the orbit as well so that so people's eyes will level out their jaw the, the other sides of their jaws will um, will remodel but the sphenoid bone which is behind sits, and, and sits underneath the brain that remodels too so we can even do this in adults it's that um, you know kind of crucial to our physiological system that when we've just lost it right. Right. Yeah. And uh, the, you know, all that pinching, basically, that's going on in the head, this is affecting oxygenation of the brain and, and, <laughs> and the, the entire body for that matter. Uh, so this is where I believe, if, if, if I remember correctly from a talk I had heard years ago, uh, where a lot of our um, susceptibility, let's say, to, like you say, ADHD, autism spectrum, uh, and and learning disorders are stemming a lot from from this lack of oxygen being able to really uh, fill the cells. Is that correct? Absolutely. So what what we're, a lot of the literature is showing the link to is sleep. So when we have a craniofacial system that is cramped and small, you have small airways. When when we sleep, you've got these airways with with less volume, and what that does is it creates more pressure. And so what happens is that then you have these kids, 10% of kids that have obstructive sleep apnea, so that means they're pausing. So that's the airway not working properly when you sleep because all the muscles relax um, and you have deep intrinsic kind of the brainstem working to keep you breathing when you sleep. Now the one thing you need to do, and this is we, we learn this in the dental dive, that oxygen is the number one nutrient and breathing exercises help us to kind of reprogram this. But the one thing you need to do when you sleep is breathe. And so when kids are sleeping, their brain is going through deep, deep formative developmental stages. And if they're going through uh, oxygen starvation events, you can imagine what's happening. Mm. Of course they can't concentrate at school. And of course they don't, you know, kind of problem solve very well or they behave, they, they act out. It's because they're not breathing right at night and they're missing crucial elements of development. Now, you know, the, uh, the neuroscience and uh, the... Uh, you know, the deeper physiology of it is that the blood-brain barrier relaxes when you sleep. So when it relaxes, it lets all the cerebrospinal fluid actually flow through the, the cells and clean out the brain. It's like a dishwasher. Mm. And so if you don't get to those deep levels of sleep, that doesn't happen. And so that's deep REM sleep, and that relies on your breathing. You have to get the right breathing pattern in. And so kids don't breathe like this. They breathe through their mouth, which we know increases their risk of braces. Uh, we don't get nitric oxide where you breathe through the nose, which is formulated in the nasal sinuses. Um, and so when you get a kid to stick their tongue to the roof of the mouth for most of the day, 
close their lips and breathe through the nose, their teeth grow straight, hmm. so they begin to sleep better. So mm-hmm. it, it's a functional model of we can intervene now in the childhood uh, dental uh, growth cycle, but we're also intervening in the brain development and their sleep. So we can repattern the muscles, help them to use their airways, because when you put the tongue to the roof of the mouth, the muscle systems that hold the um, the, the tongues are connected to are basically holding the airways open. So you, re- if you train those kids to sit up straight, hold their tongue um, to the roof of the mouth, and hold those airways open, they'll do it at night better too. Huh. huh. So you know, we, we're talking a lot about uh, children. Uh, we we talked about the um, uh, pre-pregnancy preparation to to make this kind of you know be- better developed palate what about when the child's already here like when we talk about diet how can diet change the formation of of this already growing maxilla jawbone does that make sense yeah so i mean <laughs> so, so the big thing that we that um that these nutrients do so vitamin d is such a central player so underneath, so you've got, in the dental diet, we talk about oxygen, number one, vitamin D is number two. And so vitamin D is crucial for obviously bone mineral. We know that bones don't form properly as they do, and they'll actually be deformed if, if kids have vitamin D, such as in rickets or osteomalacia or other diseases like, um, of skeletal diseases like that. Uh, the, you know, if vitamin D also directs the growth hormone axis. So vitamin D, insulin-like growth factor, and... Uh, and growth hormones, sorry, sit in, in an interdependent relationship. So when you're low on vitamin D, that growth hormone axis doesn't act for it. So these kids don't get the messages to grow. Mm-hmm. So and, and between zero and twelve are the really uh, big developmental stages. But kids also develop between with um, twelve and eighteen. That's when we develop that last bit of bone that houses the wisdom teeth. That's why wisdom teeth don't fit anymore because we don't go through that stage right. uh, of craniofacial development. Uh, but so when you correct these messages so kids need vitamin D this is these nutrient dense foods that um, that you know we've just lost now if you're not thinking about how if you if you work inside if you have, live in a cloudy climate you, I, I guarantee you're vitamin D deficient and so you need to understand how that directs your skeletal system but the other thing too is the vitamin K2 is, co- is connected to the direct um, production of testosterone and so mm-hmm. Both, both growth hormone and testosterone are known to intervene in the, the growth of the jaw. So they are signals to grow the jaw. And so between 0 and 12, it is crucial. You know, between this is generally what humans need to be healthy, by the way. Like we're talking about kids developing, but right throughout life, if you do not have these signals, you're putting yourself at risk of chronic diseases. So right. we can intervene, but it, it just gives us a base model on how to eat for health. Uh, right across the human spectrum. Right, right, right. So, so then, uh, you know, let's say somebody's listening to this and they're forty or fifty years old, and they know that these are problems that they have. They're probably thinking, "Well, I've already gone through my development. You know, what good is this going to do me?" And yeah, you know, so, as far as the dental part, I mean, we, I think, you know, you already talked to the fact that it's definitely a, a, a good baseline to have for any kind of health, <laughs> you know, just for general health. But what can it really do for us, you know, once we stop growing? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the, the big one there, is, and this is really kind of another illogical and superficial way we've looked at uh, disease process, is gum disease, so bleeding gums. So, in... If anyone who has has had uh, any kind of bleeding gums or problems with periodontal disease, they'll know that it, the you know the the basic way that we treat is you know via via um, root planing treatment, so cleaning that plaque or calculus buildup off. Um, and the, look, that's a very superficial way to look at the disease. So gum disease is a imbalance between the microbes in your mouth but also the immune system. And so that immune system is primed in your gut. So the gut is actually, you know, we know has has 80% of your immune system. And so gum disease is a sign that your gut is unhappy. Now, 
if your gut, if you have digestion problems, if you have immune problems, type 2 diabetes, we know that the microbiome and gut problems relate to nearly every chronic disease process uh, you know, out there, autoimmune conditions, brain, Alzheimer's disease, dementia, heart problems, all of these processes are, are all seated in this uh, intestinal um, barrier that we need to have healthy where, where these bacteria that live in our digestive system communicate with our immune system. And so gum disease, bleeding gums is the first sign of that. And so if you want us to prevent all of those diseases I just mentioned, so brain degeneration, heart disease, type 2 diabetes, you need to understand how your teeth are the first warning sign of that. Right. Right, right, yeah. And, um, you know, once again, I have no shortage of friends <laughs> who are uh, going to the dentist for the root canals and the, you know, just all, all these different uh, treatments that you talk about, uh, you know, the gum disease and, and plaques and you name it. Uh, unfortunately, what I've run into is all too many people saying, well, my family, you know, my mom had this problem. It's hereditary. Uh, you know, if, if if this thing, if this were so hereditary, then my kids would have pretty horrible teeth because my husband <laughs> had, had until we start until you know he met me and we started changing our diet. Um, you know, he had pretty rampant decay. Uh, I don't think he's. We've been together for over twenty years. I don't think he's he's been back to the dentist since maybe the first year. <laughs> well, let's just say for uh, for a treatment uh, like that or any kind of surgery um, since maybe a the year before we started changing our diet. So completely and, and people need to yeah, exactly. We've unfortunately lost, you know, um, you know, we go to the dentist for to fix things, but you know, and sometimes we do need to go through treatment, but you have to address the underlying processes that have gone wrong. And that's why we that's what I really try and help uh, I try and get across to people is that in the dental diet we break that down, we understand tooth decay, we understand uh, growth of the jaws, gum disease as uh, you know, a nutritional and a physiological imbalance in the body. So we've got to reframe that un- and then understand how food and which foods are the ones we need to kind of uh, take us back to health. Right, right. Now, what does the dental diet say about fluoride? Well, you know, I mean, so fluoride, we, in, in the book, <laughs> we don't even mention it. And I'm going, I'm going to tell you why. Um, it's because Fluoride toothpaste and um, and uh, mouthwash, you know, it it, do, it is addressing a very very small percentage of what dental prevention really is. So that fluoride is a treatment. That's mm-hmm. what we, we need to reframe. It's not prevention. Mm-hmm. Uh, treatments have the, it's, its upsides and its downsides. I you know I, I think there are much smarter ways to prevent dental disease than using fluoride. And so sometimes it is warranted. But I would, you know, we need to reframe that as being um, food has been the underlying preventative measure because fluoride is effective in some extents to uh, prevent tooth decay. But, you know, there are so many more things you can be doing and getting much more benefits out if you just understand food and how dental nutrition actually shapes, you know, your body's inner workings uh, to protect you against these diseases. Right, right. And do you, as far as uh Oh, uh, what's the, I'm trying to be politically correct here, <laughs> but uh, you know, fluoride has been particularly sodium fluoride has been connected to, uh, I guess rat poison might be one of the the, the least offensive ways of saying it, but you know, kind of uh, idiocy, uh, dumbing down, <laughs> you know, the brain. Uh, do you find any of that to be true, or is that complete bunk? Uh, there's a small amount of literature out there that shows that it it, it does um, it it may be be uh, building up in the brain, mm-hmm. so the pineal gland uh, is one. Um, but we do need a lot more research in that. Right. So I w- I would definitely say to everyone to watch your fluoride because we do get a lot of it in today's society. And you know people ask me about you know which fluoride toothpaste don't even make sense because the concentration you get fluoride toothpaste at is actually at the concentration of water fluoridation, and that's designed to be taken sy- systemically. So it's not even effective topically. Right. Uh, you, you need a much higher concentration for it to be effective. Um, so fluoride toothpaste doesn't make sense. So I would definitely just watch your fluoride intake. You know, mm-hmm. it's not necess- if, 
if you understand food, you know, like you have, you know, your body does it all for you. Nutrition is the number, you know, it, fluoride is a, will be a side note in your life if you just understand dental nutrition. Right. And you did speak to uh, thyroid conditions, and we know that uh, fluoride can interact with iodine uh, or, or replace iodine. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so, so that's, exactly. you know, which is a food, the, the main food for the thyroid. So, uh, you know, I, I, I hesitate when, you know, people say like, oh, well, you know, all I need is my fluoride toothpaste. I'm like, you're still getting your teeth removed. You know, it's not working. Come on. <laughs> like, how much more proof do you need that that's not the silver bullet? that everybody well, hopes absolutely. it to be. And you have to remember the flu- water fluoridation came in the 60s and 70s and tooth decay has just been, you know, we've not solved it. It's still the most common chronic disease in children today. Right. Actually, I honestly, I think it's getting worse. I'm hearing about kids who's like, they, they literally are being uh, 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 diagnosed with holes where their teeth should be. You know, like they're, they're, they're just not coming in. In some cases. Well, the numbers in the UK that have a, um, more of a public system, they, they show that the amount of hospitalizations for um, extractions of the childhood dentition, so that's kids you know, under five getting their teeth extracted, rotten teeth, have, have jumped, have continued to rise in the last few years. So this is on the way up. We are not solving the problem with, with our brushing, flossing, you know, toothpaste mantra. It's time to rethink this. Yeah, yeah. Go go back to uh, blood sausage and clotted cream. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay, so what would you say um, is the the biggest myth in oral care? I would say the biggest myth uh, is that uh, braces or crooked teeth are genetic. Um, that's simply not the case. Uh, it's absolutely not a genetic problem um, in terms, you know, and when you look anthropologically, we just have not had crooked dental arches or, and you got to remember too that a kid that needs braces at 10 to 12, it's the same problem as a young adolescent that needs their wisdom teeth out when they're 19, 20, 21. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's jaw hasn't grown. So we see that as a, as a normal thing. That is not normal. If you look at the anthropological record, and this is what Price did, you know, this appears in a geo- in a um, archaeological blink of an eye, and there is no genetic uh, explanation for what has happened to our teeth and jaws in that sense. It's absolutely false. Right. Well, I mean, it's, to me, thinking anthropologically, uh, or uh, sorry, evolutionarily uh, is probably a better way of saying, uh, is that like we've come a long way, and like you said, this is all happening within the blink of an eye. Uh, I just I feel like any any species that makes it this long uh, through you know such a such a breadth of history could not have been born or or created with an inherent weakness towards what we're seeing now. Absolutely, there's uh, and you know there's some explanations to that, but I mean you know and there is some explanation in terms of how, for instance, genetic um, syndromes do play out in terms of. So Down syndrome, for instance, mm-hmm. does have craniofacial um, uh, type, and, and yeah, exactly, and exactly, and the um, and they're actually, if, uh, correctional therapy in Down syndrome actually can help them to to uh, help these kids have kind of a to prevent that mid face deficiency that they have. So they mm-hmm. actually have a closed mouths. Um, if we teach them to you know keep their tongue through the mouth, they can functionally help. Um, you kind of grow grow the face in that mid face region where they are usually sometimes deficient. Uh, but this, so there are racial uh, differences in the way malocclusions play out or crooked teeth. Mm-hmm. But there's just no so basically our genes will uh, determine the type of uh, crooked teeth we will have. But the cause is what we our environment. So the food, the breathing, the, the function. That is how your your jaw grows. Right. So you know, we'll get to, I want to uh, close by talking about your 40 day program. But before we go there, when you see people in office, right, uh, are you strictly staying on, on, you know, kind of these um, behavioral patterns, you know, the, the tongue to the roof of the mouth, uh, the nutrition, or do you sometimes find the need to intervene to, because I've heard of this where um, a, a, there are a handful of dentists who are actually 
basically uh, uh, opening up the palate, you know, through uh, like minor surgeries. Yeah, so there's there's an expansion. So orthodontics, there's a, a very exciting model of orthodontics now where we really take in uh, a, a model of, and I'm a general dentist by trade, but what this is show is that there's a much more growth focused uh, model of orthodontics now where we expand the palate, we expand the, and it's very multidisciplinary. So what a dentist will do is guide the palate for growth. So there are certain um, devices that will expand the kids and even adults' palate. Um, but then what we'll do is we'll make sure we talk to the ENT to make sure they're breathing through their nose but or they don't have a deviated septum or there's not something stopping breathing through their nose or a sleep position. We'll get a sleep test and see how they're sleeping and um, get their um, AHI and polysomnograph. But then myofunctional therapy, which is like a, a facial muscle uh, physiotherapist, uh, you know, we can talk to um, osteopaths and chiropractors to get the posture right, breathing therapy. All of this is coming into a beautiful multidisciplinary approach where we actually show that, well, hey, the mouth is connected to the rest of the body and we can fix this if we just understand this as a whole body problem. Right. Right. Exactly. So um, tell us more about the 40-day program that you have on your website. Yep. So the, the, um, so the, the book is a 40-day, the dental diet is a 40-day food program. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we go through those nutrient-dense foods that feed that inner immune system. They grow the jaw in kids and they help us to balance you know, every other process that we've talked about in the body. In, in the first week, um, you know, the first thing we kind of think about with dental is sugar. So we do take a sugar approach. What I do is, in, but sugar's hard to get rid of in your life, and I've found this with patients. So the way mm -hmm. I designed it was the first week we remove processed sugar, so we just have fruits um, right. from natural sources. But in the middle, for two weeks, we do no zero sugar, no fruit either. And the reason for that is that we, I, I've found it necessary to, and I did this in myself too, you have to take your body off these refined carbohydrates, these sugars, to help it recognize what is actually food again. Yes. And so it reprograms our bacteria, reprograms our digestive system. It's hard, but it's hard to do unless you have the replacement foods. So yes. you know, we've got, you know, how do you replace that? Well, you know, you need to have those fat-filled, um, uh, nutrient-dense foods, like and even like the kind of coconut oils with cacao powder looks like chocolate, tastes a bit like it, not as sweet, but it gives you that sw sweet hit. So that two-week plan is that um, replacement model. Then in we begin to kind of reprogram back into life in the fourth. You know, you can eat fruit again. Um, I don't eat as much fruit as I used to simply because it is a fructose hit. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, that's fine. People, if you like fruit, eat fruit. But as long as you understand that in your total daily sugar intake, it's adding to that. Uh, yeah, and so then reintegrating that back into life is it, by the end of the 40 days, we understand food. You look at every meal into in a very different way. You know, it, you, there's no portion size. You just need to understand where your food comes from, how it nourishes your teeth, and you know, it makes it much more simple. And we also do a breathing exercise uh, before each meal, and mm. we change the week to help us reprogram to breathe through the nose. You'll sleep better. You'll just feel so much more different when you feed your body. Uh, what it needs to have. Oh, that's fantastic. And uh, yeah, I've been uh, getting a, a lot more into breathing and uh, trying to get people to understand the value of the breath uh, because there's such a huge focus on exercise right now. And personally, I think that the value of exercise is forcing us to breathe. <laughs> you know, that's one of the reasons why things like yoga, the more gentle exercises work so well, isometrics, uh, because they're, you know, there's a huge focus on the breath. Whereas I think when uh, some people uh, exercise, they're missing that. They're so focused on the exercise, they're forgetting, and particularly things like running and even biking, uh, where people think that it's good to be exhausted at the end as opposed to um, using that to to help you draw a deeper breath into the body uh, the breathing is life-changing and you know it's life-changing for kids it's life-changing and you know it's something I've, I've retaught myself too and nasal breathing for a full night you wake up feeling amazing mm -hmm. uh, you know because you're getting that nitric oxide you know your, your your mouth doesn't feel that dried out and craggly as it does in the if you mouth breathe all night and snoring, and so it is, and if you you need to reprogram your daytime breathing to get that nighttime pattern. Right, right. 
Well, um, I'm going to ask you one last question, which is, what do you brush your teeth with? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I, I generally, you know, brush with, you know, water and a, and a normal brush. I floss once a day. Um, you know, sometimes I use kind of like a, you know, coconut oil base with an essential oil. But, you know, really, I, you know, I, you know, that kind of superficial kind of pace and mouthwash I definitely do not use because that's a grenade into the oral microbiome. Mm. Uh, you know, this disinfectant model isn't the way for for dental health. Mm. Uh, I've seen some recommendations for using uh, just naturally dried salt. Do you find that to be of any value with the you know high yeah, mineral the, content? Yeah, the minerals are interesting. There, um, that that's an exciting area. You know, things like baking soda minerals. Um, that that definitely um, been some interesting. You know, the studies we don't have a heap on, uh, but there's there, there's some good rationale there to kind of um, balance out that. That, that mineral balance through, uh, yeah, there's a few um, different, uh, and you just need to be careful of the abrasive factor yeah. of the salt because it can scrub away your enamel. But no, that's that's an interesting um, approach. Okay. All right. Well, uh, Dr. Stephen Lynn, anything that you would like to add before we let you go? Okay, so the dental diet is available now on uh, on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Yeah, so jump on and, and have a read. It is nothing that you will... Uh, you would have thought about your teeth before. Uh, you can find me on my website, drstevenlin.com, so D-R-S-T-E-V-E-N-L-I-N.com, and on Facebook and Instagram, at Dr. Stephen Lin. Fantastic. Well, I was going to do all of that for you, but you did it better than, <laughs> than I ever could. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show, and um, best of luck to you with the book. And I know that... Uh, anybody who follows this, uh, just knowing uh, the basics of what you're talking about and seeing in my own family how this has made such a drastic difference. And, and for many of my clients who, you know, really stuck with just eating better food, um, they're starting to notice, like I said before, uh, you know, the, the, um, the dental bills, the, the general health bills, the days off from work for X, Y, and Z are minimal uh, compared to what they used to be. So, you know, this is a, a matter of uh, the choices that we have to make. And, you know, will we choose to eat like really delicious food that's actually good for us? Or will we choose to uh, be a little bit more miserly and maybe have some dental problems? <laughs> <laughs> it's, so oh. great. it's so great to hear your story, you know, with those kids that developed straight to that is the future. We need to be thinking about this. <laughs> yes, I, I, I agree. It's, it's uh, definitely, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be slim pickings out there when <laughs> if they're going to use uh, dental health as a as a barometer for choosing a mate one day. So. <laughs> All right, thank you once again. Thanks so much, Adrian. Bye. The Nutrition Heretic Podcast is a production of Savor the Journey LLC. Our audio editor is Nikola Popovich. Our podcast manager is Crystal McLean, and our operations manager is Michelle Med. I'm your host, Adrian Hugh, the Nutrition Heretic. You can find us at the new and improved nutritionheretic.com, where you can download the Nutrition Heretic's free shit list of seven health foods to avoid like the plague. You can also listen to previous episodes at nutritionheretic.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to like us on social media for updates. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash nutritionheretic and on Twitter at NutriHeretic. Contact us with show ideas, questions, or if you want to be a guest. And don't forget to rate our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher.